Amen. Go ahead. You can have a seat. Um, this is usually, like, if you're going to script out my message, this is usually a consistent time where I say, now, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'd like you to take it out, turn to this page. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a number of Bibles available back at the, the, the doors, and you can go ahead and grab one of those and take it home for your own personal use. However, this morning, I'm inviting you to take your Bible, go to Proverbs, okay? But we are going to be all over the place in Proverbs this morning. We are going to be bouncing around. We're going to be talking about this wonderful thing called friendship. Um, a little personal confession. This week, as I have studied friendship and typed the word friendship, I think that it's probably about 30% of the time I spelled it correctly the first time. I can't get the I before E rule right with friendship, and I don't know why. So um, I want to look at a lot of things that Proverbs says. I want to make sure that the first thing we establish, though, is this, friendships are important. And in our culture today, friendship tends to get pushed to the back burner. Because friendship is unique. It's different. It it, it isn't the same. So you have family relationships. Well, you don't get a choice in family relationships. You're born into that family, and to some degree, that family is going to mess you up, okay? It's not a matter of if they mess you up. It's just a matter of degree, just reality, you don't get a choice, so you've got friendship. You've got romantic relationships. Those romantic relationships are, are face-to-face. You've got civic relationships where you are um, working underneath the, the rulership and leadership of certain politicians that have been voted into place and, 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 and um, law enforcement and many of the other different type of civic relationships. Those are all different than friendship. Friendship, you actually have to work for. Friendship, I heard somebody say this this week, it's fascinating. Friendship, uh, in all these other relationships, they tend to be face-to-face. Friendship is shoulder-to-shoulder. Friendship begins not out of a conversation, but out of a realization where, where really, if you were to, to put it into words, that realization would be, oh, you too? And that's the beginning of friendship. Because you have a, a common um, goal, a common perspective, a common insight. The reality is we need friendship. And as I studied this week, what I was wrestling with in my head is we, we, we don't make much of friendship. Okay, so if you're walking out of a grocery store, and this is actually to my shame that I'm going to say this from the pulpit, but that's okay. When you're walking out of the grocery store and you see all those glossy magazines by the checkout, not very often do you see things written like, you're not going to believe who Ben Affleck's new friend is, right? Because that's not the culture we live in. And so I started to think about music. I thought, even our music scene, we don't glorify friendship as much as we do romance and love and passion. But then I was corrected when I did just a basic Google search. So we're going to give this a shot. And, and actually, there's more songs about friendship than I expected there to be. Right? So there you go. My job is to get all these songs in your head. I'm not going to sing them for you. I promise. Okay. Now, friendship songs get a little corny. Right? Okay. Like I said, corny. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down a road and back again. This is for you, Carroll County. You're welcome. But I I wanted to make sure that we ended well. So here you go. Please take your lights. Okay. 
Come on now. So, like I said, most friend songs are kind of corny. Um, or the guy that did that is corny, who knows. But, but, but we need friendship. We need friendship, not just because friends are friends forever. We need friendship because we were created for relationships. That's who God made us to be. No, 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 Frank, you don't understand. I, I don't need friends, okay? Well, here you go. Here's our first verse we're going to look at together. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1 says this, The one who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom. So, so you think you don't need friendship. See, I'm, I'm fine. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hard-headed, I'm a, a passionate person. I can do this myself. I can make my own self. I don't need anybody else. So you, well, really what you're saying is you're going to disagree with God. And what God has said is you have been created for relationship. And so if you ignore relationship, if you ignore friendships, what you are ultimately rejecting is sound wisdom. So, so let's go back to that. We were created for relationship. You remember at the very beginning, after God had created everything, he was like, oh, it is good. It is so good. It is so very good. Oh, it's not good that man be alone. So, so he created woman from his rib. And then you get to see the relationship between Adam and Eve and God being relational. And honestly, Adam and Eve take after God, the very image of God, and they carry with them uh, within themselves even God's makeup of the desire for relationship. God has relationship in himself. That's the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in the garden, there was this time when, and I can't wrap my head around this, I'm going to be honest with you, but, but before the fall where Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God. And as you understand the Hebrew language, to walk with someone is a metaphor oftentimes for friendship. But sin came in, and it blew everything up, and now there's this sharp divide between man and God, and, and I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going to get there later. We, we need relationship. That's the way we were created. You, you think you have what you need, and yet God's going to call you a fool. Biologically, you don't need a friend. F financially, you can thrive without a friend, sometimes better without friends. And, and simply time-wise, you are so very busy, the time for deep friendships is difficult, but you cannot become wise without a Christian friend speaking into your life. You need friends. However, on the opposite side of that, you can't allow friendships to become an idol. <clears throat> Proverbs 18, 24, the very beginning says this, one with many friends may be harmed. Let me, let me, um, before I jump into this, let me tell you an honest and um, kind of own this. Proverbs 18, 24, that first chunk of that verse is incredibly difficult to translate out of the Hebrew language that it was originally written in. Um, one fellow sat down and he actually put together all of the, the potential translations that are out there. So let me read them to you. There's, there's one that really, so the King James Version takes a, 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 a translation approach that's different than every other one, which is interesting. The King James says, a man that is friends must show himself friendly. Uh, I don't think that's in the Hebrew. It's a great principle elsewhere in Scripture. But here, here's some of the other translations. There are friends who spend time with you. Thank you. Um, there are friends who you want to associate with. There are companions that you should socialize with. A man has many friends for companionship. There are friends who only seek society. A man of many friends comes off a loser. I like that one. He that makes many friends doeth it to his own destruction. 
A man of many friends comes to ruin. A man of many companions may come to ruin. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. You noticing a theme now? A man with many friends may be harmed. There are friends who destroy each other. Friends can destroy one another. A person who has unreliable companions is about to be broken. Some friends only play at friendship. There are friends who pretend to be friends. <laughs> this one I don't get at all. There's a companion who does nothing but chatter. True. I won't name names. <laughs> we all have them. Um, so that's my, my honest moment. It's a difficult uh, portion of Hebrew to actually translate. But, but let, me, let me land where I land personally on this. It's, it's, I believe the best translation is, is one that's before you. One with many friends may be harmed. The idea is there's many people who will do anything to accumulate as many friends as possible. And there's great danger in that. And let me run through some of the dangers. Proverbs 25, 26 says, A righteous person who yields to the wicked is like a muddied spring or a polluted well. See, the one who will do anything to get a friend is actually a terrible friend themselves. The, the picture, and I love the, 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 the pictures that Solomon continues to draw for his son. And he says, the picture is this, you, you, walking, you, you um, yielding to the wicked in order to come alongside them and to become their friend, you are no more valuable than a spring that is so muddied that it's no good for drinking water. You're no better than a well that's polluted that makes everybody sick that drinks from it. So in your desire to gain a great number of friends, you're actually doing a great amount of harm. The one with bad friends is in trouble already. Look at Proverbs 22, <clears throat> verses 24 to 25. It says this, don't make friends with an angry person. Don't be a companion of a hot-tempered one, or you will learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. So, so if you have friends who are of this character, who are hot-tempered, who fly off the handle quickly, who are angry, who are cynical, who complain, who are always those people in those corners of every room creating drama around them, you, you need to separate yourself from them because if that is your companion, what is the outcome? You will learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. It'll become a trap for you when you become like them because admit it, when you hang out with somebody, you become like them, right? I've got the dumbest illustration of that, and it's on me. Um, my my father-in-law um, had a construction accident, <clears throat> which actually that could be from me. Um, construction and me don't get along. But he had a construction accident when an I-beam uh, landed on his index finger. Yeah, it didn't go real well. Um, the I-beam won, and his finger... Um, had all kinds of broken bones and stuff, and because he's stubborn, he only did a little bit of the, the, the um, <laughs> physical therapy, which is hilarious. It's your finger. What is but anyway, <clears throat> that was too much for him. Um, <clears throat> so what, as a result, his, his index finger is right, instead of pointing straight ahead, it goes like this. So it's actually kind of funny when he points at somebody, he's like, Okay. And, and, and the crazy thing is he would always, and he's trying to make a point, he's always like, yeah, you look at me. That used to be his thing. Well, with the crooked finger, it looks like this. You look at me, and I am not lying. A number of times, not just myself, but people in my family, we'd be like, hey, look. Like, what are you doing? I mean, we pick up on such insignificant, foolish things like that. 
You put yourself in a situation where you're constantly around an angry person, a cynical person, you know what you're going to do? You're going to become just like them. So a person with bad friends is in trouble already. The one with untrustworthy friends is in trouble. He says this in Proverbs 25, 19, trusting an unreliable person in a difficult time is like a rotten tooth or a faltering foot. I don't know if any of you have ever had dental problems. When you had that tooth, that nerve gets exposed, or, or you have that, the need for a root canal, and everything that goes in your mouth, even when you're least expecting it, it's just that sudden, Ugh! or all of us can relate to the faltering foot. Have you ever had your foot fall asleep? I, in my office this week, I don't know how, I was sitting on my foot, and I didn't realize it, and so when I got out of my chair, I actually stepped on, the, <laughs> thankfully nobody was around for it. But now I'm telling y'all, which is really smart on my part, but I get, and I'm trying to walk and my foot was asleep, but I didn't quite feel it that it was asleep. And so every step I took, it was like, um, and the thing that went through my mind is how foolish of me would it be if I stepped and broke my ankle? I'm relying on my foot. Well, if you have a friend that you can't trust in, a friend that you can't rely on, then it's, he's no better than that tooth that surprises you with the amount of pain that gets you or the a foot that isn't quite awake and ready to, to carry your weight. Uh, the fool, I'm uh, sorry, the friend, the one with, I'm going to get it right eventually, the one with foolish friends is in trouble. Um, Dan, I lost connection, so if you could go ahead to the next one there, Proverbs 13, verse 20. Uh, the one with foolish friends is in trouble already. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. It's the same general idea that we were just talking about, the same <clears throat> concept that as you find yourself next to people, you, you kind of assimilate um, who they are, how they act, and the behaviors that they uh, display. So with that in mind, what are we to look for in the friends that we're supposed to have? Let's look at Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. It says this, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a difficult time. So what kind of friends should we be looking for? What marks in friendship? We should find friends who are consistent and who are constant. What this verse is saying is, listen, you can have a friend that loves you at all times, good times, bad times, happy times, sad times, boring times, just everyday times, late night, early morning. It doesn't matter. You can have a friend that loves at all those times. But when you go through the most difficult time in your life, you will know who your real friend is. Because in the middle of that adversity, that friend will come alongside you. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a difficult time. The idea is this, they are consistent in your life. They're showing up when they need to show up. They're talking when they need to talk. They're consistent. They're constant. But I also want to put a flip on that. Not only are they consistent and constant, but they are aware they're aware of the situation you're going through. They're aware of, of what might be happening, and they're careful. Uh, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 17 says this. Seldom set your foot in your neighbor's house. Otherwise, he'll get sick of you and hate you. Hang that outside your door. The idea is this, man, make it a rare thing. Give them some space. I mean, they could be a friend who loves you at all times, but they don't have to be there 24-7 or this will happen. I'm kind of tired of you. I don't want to talk anymore. I mean, the reality is too much of a good thing can make you sick, right? Too much ice cream. I, I've yet to find that point. I continue to look. Too much ice cream can make you sick. Too much of a good thing 
can make you sick. So the mark of a true friend is he's consistent, they're constant, but they're aware. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 tell us that a friend is honest, better an open reprimand than concealed love. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Friendship cannot exist without honest and truthful love. You've got to be able to tell your friend the truth. But, but it's going to hurt their feelings. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I mean, I've got to be careful. I mean, they've been, I can't really tell them. Stop it. The, the, the reality is truth does sting sometimes. That's why it says that wounds come from a friend. But, but to say that you can't speak truth to them, okay, it's not loving to keep truth from somebody. Is it unloving for you to tell your six-year-old son not to put his hand on a hot stove? Is that unloving? No, no, no. It's unloving for you to be like, go ahead, boy, let me know how it goes for you. That's unloving. Love speaks truth. Love tells your kid, you don't run across the street. You look both ways. You dismount your bike. You walk it across the street. All of these things, you, you tell them the truth in order to protect them. But I, I love them too much to tell them. No, you don't. You love yourself too much to go through the process. Now, that being said, <clears throat> too many of us uh, really don't even want to hear the truth from our friends. Uh, too, too many of us want to live oblivious to um, the real world. We're living in this kind of make-believe world where everything I do is magical. It's all Instagram-worthy. I don't do anything wrong. It's always somebody else's fault, but I never do anything wrong. I, I, I don't want anybody to, to change that perspective I have. And I'm going to tell you this. If you don't have somebody in your life telling you hard things, then you don't have friends. Um, <laughs> that doesn't mean that you have an open invitation to go and become a reckless, mouthing off, self-appointed critic of everybody in your life because they need to know my opinion as a friend. I don't, I don't mean that. But the reality is without someone speaking truth into your life, through respectful confrontation, you don't have friends and you'll be lacking wisdom. I, I love the way he says it. So, so the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Think about that. Think about the juxtaposition that happens there. I think we think our enemy is going to wound us and our friend is going to kiss us, right? But he says, absolutely not. It's the opposite. The wounds of a friend. A friend gives you wounds. An enemy will just continue to kiss you and kiss you and kiss you. And I'm going to tell you, a friend is not somebody who keeps kissing you when what you need is a kick in the rear end. Right? The problem is we've all got too many friends who are afraid to give us this kick, and instead they come up and give us a smooch. That's when you punch them. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Um, we, we all need that kick every once in a while. Um, and here's why. Proverbs 29.5 gives us a warning. It says this, a, a person who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. That word for flatter is to smooth. So imagine your child coming out of the house with hair that's not done, and you're like, that looks good. The idea is they're trying to smooth everything out. Oh, everything, everything's good. You're good. Everything's wonderful about you. You're, you're fine. Let me flat. Oh, that looks great. Boy, you have a wonderful voice. 
Boy, you can, you can do you, your, your ability here. You're, you're wonderful at this. You're amazing at this. See the difference? Now, let me, let me make sure it's clear. Flattery and encouragement aren't the same thing. Flattery is built on a lie. Encouragement is built on truth. So by all means, you should be encouraging those people in your life. You should be encouraging those friends that you have with truth. But flattery, flattery is when you smooth things over and you, you kind of lie to them. And I'm going to tell you right now, telling people things, truthful things, observations that you're making when you're being asked for observations, that is painful at times. But to lie to them, to flatter them, is to set a trap for them. Because when they leave the conversation they're having with you, they're out of touch with reality. That, that's the reason American Idol is so funny at the beginning of the season. Because, I, I mean, some of those people get in there to sing, and nobody's had the guts to look them in the face and say, you can't sing, Right? They just flatter them. They're like, I've got the greatest voice ever. This is good. my dream. I'm going to Hollywood. I'm going to do the greatest thing ever. I'm going to become a Broadway star. I'm going to become the next, oh, Taylor Swift. <laughs> Y'all knew that was coming. That's right. I'm going to be the next, a name that came to mind too. I'm going to be that man. And then they walk in front of the judges and the judges, I mean, if I was a judge, honestly, I'd be thinking, everybody coming in this place has got some set of pipes on them. And they step up and they're like, and it goes downhill really fast. And that is a result of this proverb. The people in, those, in their lives haven't given them truth. They flattered them. And they've set up a, a cruel trap for them. And so we need to be speaking truth into our friends' lives. We need to be looking for opportunities, not to flatter, but to encourage with truth, to speak truth, even when it's hard truth. We don't want to hold back. However, with that in mind, Proverbs 25, verse 20 says, singing songs to a troubled heart is like taking off clothing on a cold day or like pouring vinegar on soda. Let me explain. To speak nothing but truth without a, a, an eye towards the context or the situation that the person is, is cruel. To find somebody who is going through dark, dark times and to stand in front of them and sing a happy song, the, the, Solomon says, it's like somebody standing out in the freezing cold and you walk up to them and just start removing layers of clothing from them. That's cruel. It's like taking vinegar and pouring it on baking soda. Any of you do that as a science experiment as a kid? That used to be the big one. So, so when you do that, you get nothing of value except you get a huge reaction. You walk into somebody's life, somebody whose life who's upside down, and you begin to sing songs of joy and happiness, or you begin to quote verses of joy and happiness into their life, just completely ignoring how dark a period of time they're going through. You walk into somebody's life who is in genuine, genuine grief and, 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 and mourning, and you look at them like, you know, well, all things work together for good. God knows the plans he has for you. you, you honestly, eh? you came to me and said, he punched me. I'd be like, you deserved it. I'm sorry. I'm... That's oblivious. You're, you're not paying attention. You're being insensitive. You're being unsympathetic, and you're doing huge harm into their lives. And let me be honest with you. Many of the times that this happens, not all the time, much of the time, when somebody comes and they are heavy-hearted, they're going through a great difficulty, and somebody comes alongside and says something stupid, that person has the greatest intention. Their longing and desire is to encourage the person. And so let me, that's kind of a warning, be, be careful. 
know that with the greatest of intentions can come the greatest of offenses. Um, I'm not going to go into detail and, and share specific stories, but when Stephanie and I, we've, um, we've miscarried three babies, and, and after one of the periods of time, I, I had a, a, somebody I would consider a brother. I mean, um, say something that was great intentions. He was trying to take the edge off. And it was um, incredibly maddening. In fact, enough so where I'm standing here thinking, I probably need to have a conversation with him still. And that was years ago. You sing songs to a broken heart. You're just unhelpful. You're just unhelpful, so be careful of that. What is another mark of a friend? Another mark of a friend is somebody who forgives. (laughs) How ironic, right? I guess I got to forgive my my friend. Um, Chapter 17, verse 9 says this, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. You want to see love take off? It's when forgiveness is introduced into the relationship. Let's be honest, if you're going to have friends, um, they're going to make some dumb decisions, and you're going to make some stupid choices, you're going to harm your relationship over and over again, Uh, it's, it's because that's who we are. We're just sinners who find new ways to sin day in and day out. The, the, the mark of a true friend is that they're quick to forgive. They're, they're quick to, to forgive, and then they don't bring it up over and over again, that offense. Now, the old saying is forgive and forget, right? Here's the problem. You never forget. Just reality. You never forget. And so what your responsibility in forgiveness is, is to choose not to remember. That means when the heat gets turned on again and you're having that conflict with your friend again, it's easy for you to go back to, oh yeah, well, when you were supposed to pick me up at the airport, you forgot me. Well, well, okay, have you forgiven them for it? Well, yeah, then why'd you bring it up again? Instead, in that moment, it's, oh yeah, never mind. I'm not gonna allow that to be some, a, a lens that I view you through right now. The mark of a good friend is that they're uh, forgetful. I'm going to keep moving here for time's sake. The, the mark of a good friend is that they are helpful. Uh, chapter 27, verse 9. It says, The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. Um, I love this verse. Um, here's why. The, the word counsel uh, is secrets. Secrets. So the the heartfelt secrets of a friend are as sweet and perfumey and marked by being just like incense. It's that aromatic wonder that brings delight and joy into your relationship. And so when I'm bringing counsel to somebody, I'm revealing my own secrets to a true friend. I'm unveiling what's going on in my own heart, in my own soul, in the things that I need to do so that it might help you in your journey as you try to figure out what the right choice and right decision is next. So I need to be vulnerable in myself so I can help guide you through what you're facing. So so who do you turn to when you need help and you need counsel? Because that's your friend. um, Your friend is the one who, who says, you know, call me anytime. And then actually answers when you call. That's your true friend. 
I mean, real relationship and real friendship is, is helpful and sweet like, like this, bringing good counsel out of the secrets of your own heart. But not only is it sweet, but real friendship is challenging. The, the verse I think we all think of in Proverbs is Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. The picture of that relationship is, is two um, different pieces of metal coming together and chipping the edges off and, and bringing a, a sharpened edge to the blade. Friendship with, with transparency, friendship with good counsel, friendship with honesty, friendship with a, a back and forth where it's not just one person abusing another friend, but it's, it's mutual abuse. How's that? Um, it's this relationship where it's give and take and it continues. It, it takes the edge off and it, and it makes that blade so much sharper. And that's what we need friendship for. So as we walk through all these things that friendship is, as we mar- walk through the, the marks of friendship, um, if you were to be quiet in your own heart just for a few moments and consider all those things, there's going to be some responses of your own soul that are going to kind of ooze out, right? Some of them are going to be like, man, I, 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 wish, I wish I had friends like that. Uh, other oozing is going to be, man, I am a terrible friend. I think the, the, the point that I want to land on and finish with this morning is this. The, the reality, as you think about friendship, is this. It is not easy. If you have a friendship that is easy, it's not a real friendship yet. Friendship takes sacrifice. It takes humility. It takes self-control. It takes a willingness to deal with problems that aren't yours takes a, a, a willingness to genuinely care for another person beside yourself. That, that's why 18, uh, Proverbs 18, verse 24 is so profound. It says this, one with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. You can't help be, be envious with the person who's saying that. I have a friend who everywhere I go, there is no time where I am separate from them. There isn't a situation where I'm not going to have that friend to be able to lean on and rely on. And, and while this verse isn't saying Jesus' name specifically, there's some heavy shadows there, aren't there? When you consider that everything we just talked about in friendship, Jesus did every single one of them. So, so you think Jesus was, was genuine. He gave everything up for us. Jesus was consistent and he, he loved us even when we were most unlovable. Jesus continues to be honest with us. He continues to tell us exactly what we need to hear even if it makes us uncomfortable. Jesus is careful. He didn't just enter into my pain. He doesn't just weep when I weep, but he actually took my pain upon himself so that I wouldn't have to have it. Jesus is dependable. So this verse, the end there, there's a friend who stays closer than a brother. There's, um, the King James says there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's the same word that is used in Genesis chapter 2 that talks about the, the origin of marriage. The fact that man and woman, the husband and wife, they will leave mother and father and they will cleave to one another. They will stick to one another. As our understanding of marriage from that passage goes, it's a reminder that, that when husband and wife are joined together, they are literally super, not literally, that would be wrong, they are super glued together. It's not literally. 
That'd be uncomfortable. But they're super glued together. In God's eyes, there is no taking it apart, which is why, getting on a little bit of a, a side thing, which is why we talk about the harm divorce brings. Because if you were to literally take super glue and put your hands together, to tear that apart creates harm, doesn't it? It's the same thing with marriage. As God has placed husband and wife together to cleave together, to stick together, it should never be pulled apart. And what this verse is saying is that's the exact same word. He stays closer. He sticks closer. He cleaves closer than a brother. Jesus is dependable. And if he didn't leave us when we were at our lowest, he's not going to leave us now. Jesus experienced what we should have experienced. And by doing that, he's done the unthinkable. Remember back at the garden, and you've got the Adam and Eve walking in the garden with God, and then, then they're left on their own, and they're instructed not to eat of the fruit of those two trees, and then the serpent comes and says, now did God really say? And, 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 and it's interesting that the legalism in Eve pops up right away. She's like, yeah, God said we shouldn't even touch it. No, he didn't. He said, don't eat it. But she went and ate it anyway even with a, a legalistic bend on God's command. And when she ate the fruit, she gave it to her husband, and he ate. And their eyes were opened, and shame entered in. And now instead of engaging in friendship with God, the, the creator of everything that they had seen, the one who had created them in his own image and built them for relationship, instead of enjoying that relationship as he came back to the garden to go on his walk with Adam and Eve, in their shame they hid from him. And you hear God's voice as he enters the garden. Where, where are you guys? Where'd you go? Who told you you were naked? It's a result of the shame that was introduced through their first sin. Because of their sin, God brought consequences, and that consequence began with being removed from the garden and being separated from God. And please understand, let me, I want to hit this again. It's, this is something that continues to come up in, in my thoughts and in my prayers and as I'm reading scripture, is when God removed Adam and Eve from him, that, that wasn't so much a great act of judgment as much as it was a great act of mercy. Because in that moment, God should have poured out all of his wrath on their sin, But God, who is rich in mercy, has loved us with an everlasting love. And Jesus has done the unthinkable. Because he took our place, he has made us friends with God again. John 15, just before Jesus uh, goes to the cross, <laughs> if, you, if you read, I think it starts in four, it's either 14, 15, 16, 17, right in there, John. If you read that, you hear Jesus speaking to his disciples just before he's betrayed, just before he goes to the cross, trying to get his disciples to understand what it is he's accomplishing. And in John 15, one of the things he says to his disciples is, you, you have to understand this. There has never been a greater love than this. When a man lays down his life for his friends, You're my friends. Jesus went and laid down his life. For who? You. 
And by his death, he made peace with God for you. So through the cross of Jesus, you can be called a friend of God if you're in Jesus. And being in Jesus doesn't uh, take a uh, certain size check to be written. It's not jumping in a baptismal pool. It's not running up and down one of the aisles or kneeling on one of the, the kneelers here in the front. It's none of those things. Being in Jesus is crying out with your mouth, the realization of your soul, that apart from Christ, you're lost. That he came and he died in your place. The place you should have died, he, he, he took your spot when he was buried. And then three days later, he rose from the grave, proving that he had conquered sin and death forever. That's what it means to be in Jesus. And if you're in Jesus, you're a friend of God. Don't let anybody tell you differently. Don't let the enemy whisper that you're not good enough. Don't let the, the enemy whisper you're never going to be accepted. Don't let the enemy whisper that, that you have just simply crushed God's heart with your sin and he can't possibly forgive you. Nope. In Jesus Christ, your goodness doesn't matter. It's his goodness. And his goodness is unshakable. It's eternal. And because of his goodness, you can be at peace with God. You've been redeemed. You've been rescued. You're at peace and friends with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you're in Jesus, you're God's friend. Don't forget it. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that we can call you Father because of what Jesus did for us. Um, the reality is on our own, we have done nothing but create a reason for us to be saved. We're sinners and we're addicted to our sin. So Lord, I, I, I know the, the, the emphasis of the message wasn't preaching on the gospel, but God, I know there's people who are sitting here in front of me right now who, who don't know Jesus. They're, they're holding on to something else. They've, they've just rejected Jesus because it just doesn't seem cool to them. I, I have no idea what the reasons for rejection are. I just know this, that there is no way that somebody can hear about what Jesus did for them and walk out of here and still be innocent in your eyes. God, instead, apart from Christ... They're in trouble. So Father, I pray in this moment as we, we talk to you that they might yield themselves to you. They might trust in you and accept Jesus' finished work on the cross for their sins. And then I pray for those of us sitting in this room, Lord, as we consider friends, I pray we would be good friends. I pray that we would we'd find good friends. And Lord, I ask that for the one sitting here today that's wrestling with how you view them, Lord, I pray you'd remind them that if they're in Jesus, you're viewing them just fine. You've accepted them and you love them. God, may we play in that grace today. It's in Jesus' good name I ask. Amen.